podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game, with your usual regular co-hosts, me, Russell Guyver, and the beer-swelling man to my left on my Zoom screen, Peter Marsh. Hi, Peter. Well, you know, I can't, we can't all be white wine drinkers, you know, like you. Yeah, I'm on the white wine tonight, a bit of a departure from the usual. Um, but, you know, it needs must. It's the summer, isn't it? Well, supposedly so. We had a good June and the rest of it's been pretty naff. But it's been a busy summer, hasn't it, as well? We've had uh, the summer series, the first um, Albion venture to the States for a pre-season friendly, high-profile event. Um, we'll be talking about that briefly, particularly in terms of the games themselves. But we'll talk in more detail about that when we get our state-spired friends back on for what will probably be our next episode coming shortly and hot on the heels of this one. Um, But we'll talk about that briefly. We've got plenty more to talk about. The transfers, we've got uh, various shenanigans going on. We've had the award ceremony and a little bit of controversy around that. There's the ongoing fiasco with Caicedo in general, and we've got the EFL starting. So we'll talk about all of that and probably more besides. And welcome to you all listeners, and um, hope you're having a good summer. And the summer series, the Albion, let's talk about that first, Peter, very briefly. Um, the Albion went over for the, uh, their trip to the States. It had been much muted. It had taken a while to get to fruition due to a mixture of COVID and other scheduling getting in the way. I think one year they were trying to do something. Uh, the, the shift with the World Cup probably screwed the um, the patterns up for um, the start of a season one year as well. Finally, we got over there, played three games in different cities to very large crowds. Um, admittedly, it was all geared towards Chelsea, our oldest and best friends, um, especially in relation to transfer deals. Loads and loads of, uh, of American Chelsea fans over there. Obviously, well, surely they're, we're quite happy with them today, aren't we? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, they, they're long established as all of the bigger, the biggest clubs in the Premier League yeah. are. So, of course, there were more Chelsea fans than anyone else. But a decent number of quite clearly states, uh, stateside Albion fans in uh, in attendance as well. Possibly could have done with a bit more camera work on some of the Albion fans there. That by all accounts, there were plenty there. You didn't really get the general impression of that. But it sounds like loads of people went over, um, either from somewhere else in the states or came came over from the uh, from the UK or elsewhere in the world to support the team. And um, by all accounts, it all went very well. Um, in terms of the games, let's talk about that. We had the three matches. A very, uh, very eventful 4-3 defeat to Chelsea, a 2-0 win against Brentford, and then a 2-1 defeat to Newcastle. Now, I saw all three games live on Sky, who were uh, coordinating with Peacock TV in the States. Um, so we saw all of the games live. It's not often you see all of Albion's pre-season games live, is it, Peter? Or indeed, ever, in fact, before, <laughs> as far as I can remember. Um they were all pretty entertaining. Now, I know you only saw the Brentford game properly, didn't you, I think? Yeah. Um, I saw all three, and I thought we looked the better side in all three games. Um, speaking of the Chelsea match, it was one all. We started brilliantly. Incredibly high presses from both teams, uh, passing around in even more dangerous positions than usual. Looking good. Chelsea looked good. Chelsea's new signings looked good. But we were looking the better side, and it was one all before our man Jean-Paul Van Hecker decided to get himself um, sent off with a rather reckless second booking offence. I say second booking offence. It was actually his first booking offence, but due to a, a case of mistaken identity, um, he uh, he got booked for, I think, a Hinchelwood offence earlier in the game. But he was aware he was on a yellow. 
got sent off and promptly Chelsea went from one all to four one up. However, we battled back to 4-3, which shows something, doesn't it? In a game that was played with incredible mm. high tempo, to be honest, it really didn't feel like a friendly. And I was pleased with that. It was, a, it was a change from the old routine. It showed some good fighting spirit. And I think, as we'll also discuss in the other friendlies, our new signings are looking pretty good. Mahmoud Dahoud looked fantastic. João Pedro looked so good. And he was tantamount in us battling back and assisting a goal. Some brilliant skill aside from that. He's looking superb. Billy Gilmore is really getting into the zone now. All his troubles off the field are over. He's really settling into his stride with the team. And I think it was uh, all in all a really good uh, a really good run out for probably for both teams, but certainly from our point of view, pretty good going. Um, did, did you glean anything from it, having not seen the game live, Pete? Not a lot. I mean, obviously, yeah, it sounds like we were. It was. It wasn't. Certainly, wasn't a, a big difference between the teams when we were when we had eleven men. I mean, it feels to me like one of the problems with these tournaments is preseason. So we had a quite big discussions about what preseason is about, and on on the, the um, various groups, including teams of London, that sort of thing. To me, preseason only means one thing. I don't care if we win a trophy or if we do in a preseason tournament. It's like it's completely irrelevant. Um, it's all about getting ready for the season. And my concern is that we've only had four friendlies, including one at the weekend. It mm. seems quite a low number compared to normal. Yeah. I would say that normally it's five, six minimum, but which is why obviously then, you know, Deserve is using all his players in the American tour. Yeah, I think what we normally do, we normally have, as you said, five or six, maybe even seven, um, split between under 18s, 21s, um, mixed we've, had, we've had some under 21s, but I think even first team have five or six. Yeah. And you have um, more players like turns getting the kind of game time then. And yeah. then maybe the last two or three, you kind of come to much fewer, you know, changes. But this time we've had, we've met, I mean, the only three in a tournament really, and you know, they've had to make loads of changes there to try and get everyone fit. Yeah, and of course those youth players and those younger players are involved with this squad and this yeah. journey, which by default means they can't change plans. They're there for the duration. And yeah. I'm thinking, okay, that's fine from a first team point of view, which is all I'm really worried about. That's that's fine to give them some experience, some integration, some understanding, maybe, you know, for, for Roberto De Zerbi to potentially see something there that might be useful for this season, as well as also for future planning. Um so there's obviously some practical benefits to that. And I think as we talk about the other games, Newcastle in particular, the reason we lost that match was a lot of changes later in the yeah, game. Exactly. Which again, doesn't matter. The result doesn't matter. It's it's useful to give them experience. In fact, in a, in a flip side psychology point of view, almost in a way, it's quite lo- good to lose to Chelsea and Newcastle now because it feels like we're then less likely to lose to them later. Yeah, if we beat both of them, I'd feel our chances of winning again even less. That's probably a bit of a... I don't yeah. think players' minds will work like that, though. Actually, no, to be honest, no. I don't think that will come into anyone's, yeah, any of the players' mind. I think it is. It is just. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. And obviously, there are a few people on Teams of London, one in particular, who really said he wanted to win the tournament and do, you know, kind of. Mm. And to me, it's just literally about Luton Saturday yeah. week. That's all I care about. I I couldn't care less about the the results of the friendlies. Obviously, it's you'd rather win than lose, but I'd rather play all our players get towards match fitness rather than playing. You know, very limited team, you know, basically only making normal league changes and keeping the same team mostly. And then finally, we have a few injuries before the start of the season and we've got players coming in who aren't actually match ready, which is perfectly possible. 
True. I, I totally agree with you. I, that is all that matters to me. I can understand if you've traveled across, um, yeah. you know, across the pond to go and see it, which the person you're talking about and others besides, I'm sure, would have been disappointed. I can understand that. You still want to win, obviously. If we can get a good run out, do everything we need to do for, pre- for prep for pre-season and win that tournament, that's yeah. the perfect scenario, obviously. But I, um, I think to do what he wanted, we'd have had to have a couple of friendlies before in the UK. Yeah. But we didn't, so... Yeah. I don't know whether that was planned or whether that's just because of the amount of time we had to get back into stuff. I mean, there's obviously quite a short pre-season given everything that happened to some players, you know, so some players playing internationals and quite late on, so didn't come back till quite late. True. I mean, something I alluded to earlier, I was saying about the tempo of the games. And to be honest with you, I think they got better value for money than they would normally do with what is essentially a friendly, albeit it's a friendly tournament rather than a friendly friendly. But still, it's, you know, you're getting, I thought, better tempo uh, than you would normally get. You also get the first chance to see the new kits, some of the new signings, some of the young young players coming through the ranks. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. And also, and you, go to, to, you go to America as well. It's not like you're just. Yeah, you know, exactly. Kind of... Yeah. Now there was a, there was also fan events, and there was link ups with with stateside Albion fans, whether they be expats or or American fans. Or, um, but um, as I understand it, there was a, there was mixed views on things. I think a lot of good feedback from people who were already in the States, who there was lots of fan events. And I think Tony Bloom and Paul Barber and Glenn Murray, and I think a couple of the other people were popping up in bars, chatting to fans. It was all kind of, you know, there, there was no particular restrictions on you know, who, who could converse with who. And I think a lot of people had a good social. People were meeting up with fans from elsewhere in the States. I think there was some meeting up between, uh, you know, UK-based fans and stateside fans, uh, which is all great. But there is a flip side to it as well, with the aforementioned fans that have travelled from the UK to watch that. There were certain events that have been billed, which it seems there were some PR faux pas here. Um, there was an event, I think, I think it was in um, New York. I might be wrong, but there was there was an event due to take place with Paul Barber and Glenn Murray, and apparently neither turned up. Glenn Murray, subsequently, it turned out, was going to Washington, possibly for some change of plan for commitments, I'm not sure. But Paul Barber didn't turn up, and there was no forewarning about that. So it feels like some things the Albion could get yeah. right. But I think, you know, a bit like the pre-season itself, um, the pre-season tour was a, a warm-up event as well, a warm-up for future tour events. You know, getting things wrong, learning from them, hopefully. Um, I think some comms and some some organisation might might be better served through experience, and I hope they'll learn from that. If there are any issues, um, you know, if people are supposed to be at events and they don't turn up, it's it's pretty disappointing. I know it's not the be all yeah. and end all, but still, it it's disappointing, particularly when those guys, you know, like Paul Barber, were rocking up in bars and chatting to fans later. You know, that maybe some of that was ad hoc. I'm not sure. Seems a bit of a shame, but we'll hear more about the summer series later on, obviously from our our stateside fans. Um, but just quickly on the other games, you saw the Brentford match. Uh, thoughts on that one, two nil win? I mean, Simon Adingra is the uh, the face of thought on that. Oh. Looks a, a very exciting kind of. You think we've got him and Mitsuma down the left? That's both able to cut in, both able to go outside their man as well. You know, you can imagine being a right back against us, and Mitsuma's been at you for an hour, and you struggled against him, and then you bring on the fresh legs of Adingra, who looks a very exciting prospect as well, and suddenly you know, he's flying past you as well. So I, yeah, it's very, quite an exciting op- yeah, alternative on the left wing. And yeah. he's got better stats than Mitsumer in Japan. That's not in, in um, Belgium. That's not to say you'll do better than him, 
um, immediately or whatever. We don't want to put too much pressure on him. He will be easy, I imagine, because Mitterm is so good. And I actually can't wait to see Mitterm again when he's fully fit. He didn't look, he looked knackered towards the end of last season and struggled a bit. I can't wait to see him energised back to his best and, yeah, destroying right backs. Some people were saying he still looks a bit jaded, and he probably is. That's the point of pre-season, to warm up and get into your stride. And also, coordination and partnerships and all that stuff, it's all over the place a little bit during the pre-season. Yeah. That's the other thing. But a Dingra, I yeah, agree. Yeah, so not having a Stupinia, Estupinia behind him all the time yeah. really yeah. doesn't help. You know, I mean, obviously, he was ever-present behind me for most of the last season. Yeah. And, and they developed the, a really good understanding. On the subject of Adingra, both those goals he scored were brilliant. The first one, he took it down in a kind of right of centre, centre forward position. One touch from a long ball forward from Jason Steele, no, no less, against exactly the same opposition. Yeah. Set up Mitama's goal direct from a goal kick before, which is interesting. But anyway, yeah, brilliant takedown. One take, shuffle of position, hits it, drilled it in off the inside of the I think post. he caught the keeper off guard, didn't he? Because he took it so early. Yeah. I think the keeper was expecting him to come through, and the mm. keeper wasn't, to me, wasn't in the right position. He looked a bit, he looked a bit out of position there. I mean, obviously Brentford are going to miss Raya a lot this season because you imagine he sounds like he's going. Um, yeah. And I've, I've no reason to doubt, that particularly that Flecken is going to be a good replacement for him. But he looked a bit out of position, I'd say, for that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think that idea of taking taking shots early, it really does catch even yeah. the best. Defenders and goalkeepers off guard much well, especially more. in games where, say, we you know if teams like Luton come and sit deep, taking long range pot shots like that and having players like NCSO, like potentially Dingra, like you know Mitterman, who can score from like twenty thirty yards out, actually makes a big difference because a lot of the time you're not going to get the kind of tap ins because they've got like a kind of absolutely crowded box, and even if it doesn't go in, it can take a deflection, it can hit a hand, so it gets a handball. You know, there's there's all sorts of things that can happen. Yeah, exactly, and. The other thing to take from that game, even in the very beginning, um, the high press from Brentford, they had a very determined plan, which they're obviously using just as a prototype for when they play us and maybe other teams like us in the Premier League this season. They were so high so quickly. Yeah. And we still we were passing it around even deeper than normal. We virtually got halfway over the goal line type of Yeah, play. I mean, it could have been I mean, like 8-5 or something rather than 2-0, 8-6 yeah, Anything could have happened with the scores. 2-0 was a moderate scoreline compared yeah. with pretty much all of the games in the summer Brentford series. Brentford had some really good chances and we had some really good ones we didn't take as well. So, yeah, there could yeah. have been a lot more goals all round. We yeah. didn't really deserve a clean sheet, frankly. No, no, we were lucky a little bit in that regard. Um, um, we, we, I mean, that game was probably the most even. I think we edged the Chelsea game in terms of deserving of winning. And the Newcastle game, we were far the better side, I thought. And it's only really when we made a substantial number of changes and switched off a bit towards the end uh, with a bit of defensive um, laziness, really, and, and lack of focus that they came into the game, got a couple of late goals, won the game from 1-0 down. Um, but I don't care about the result at all. But I think what was happening in the bulk of that match showed how good we look. And again, all the way through these matches, the involvement of Dahoud, we mentioned Gilmore, of course. Um, Joao Pedro, how good does he look? His little shuffle, jinking moves. Oh, they look good. And his finishing as well, brilliant. And also going back, just flipping back to when he played um, the Chelsea game, the penalty. Um, we've got, obviously, we've we've lost McAllister. Um, in fact, Liverpool might have done for a week or two. They've got a knee injury there, I think, by the sounds of it, but not too serious of a knee injury for Ali Mack. But anyway, we've lost him to our team. 
obviously Pascal Grosch largely is a good penalty taker, but we needed to know if we had another one in the ranks. And Jao Pedro very coolly and very calmly buried his penalty. No doubt about it. Pretty good goal. And by all accounts, Watford could have been they could have been really struggling last season without him. I think the degree to which he made a difference to that team last season is being manifested in already in the friendlies that we've seen. And I don't want to get too excited with the Dingra. I don't want to get too excited with Pedro or Dahoud. But I think from what I've seen in the friendlies in that summer series so far, they all look very, very good players and will add something to this team. I know in numbers we haven't really... We'll talk about the transfers in the last part of this pod. I know in numbers we haven't really significantly strengthened in that regard, especially with Undav um, uh, now leaving. But um, I do think that what we have brought in has improved the team. And I think overall, I think we're we're well set. We do still... We were struggling in terms of numbers in the last season. We had a lot of injuries. That could still be a thing. Um, but it was partly that, and also partly the number of sheer number of games we played in those two months. Yeah, it was we, the yeah, we will have Thursdays and stuff, but it won't be as bad. I don't think. Yeah, it won't be like every week with like it, like it was at the end of last season, pretty exactly. much. Exactly. With, with the exception of January, we're not going to have that ridiculous yeah. disproportionalization of when we've got intensity of fixtures, yeah. when we've got a passing quality of fixtures. And it's quite often it's around the international break. We have like we'd have three games in a week as well. So then some of our players will then have a break at that point as well for two weeks, so they don't have a game as well. I mean, it is you know there's three international breaks again before Christmas. Well, so yes, while there's there's six weeks where we're playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, or yeah. weekend Thursday, Sunday. There's also three weeks where a lot of our players will have will have two two weeks off without a game. So yeah. it kind of balances out there. And I and I do think we have got. I mean, if you look at the if you look compared to this time last year, I think we are stronger. I think it's, yes, obviously we've lost Undav and obviously Colwell, Sanchez and uh, McAllister. But, I mean, other than, but we have brought in... You've you know, forgotten Connolly, Peter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, 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 Aaron, did I miss you off? We've <laughs> obviously brought in Yao Pedro, who I suppose in effect is the, the new Undav. We've brought in Adingra who is in for Sarmiento, but he was out at the end of last season anyway. Mm. We've brought in, you know, kind of Dahoud, Alzate's back in midfield as well. You know, there's more people like Gilmore and Nciso weren't really a part until the last two games, two months of last season. They're going to be available. Uh, Igor Julio's in for, for Colwell and Verbruggen's in for Sanchez. So I think we've, you know, we have got more depth and we have still got players like Karbovnik and um, Zakiri. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily they will be massive features, but they haven't gone yet. So, I mean, if they don't go, there's always a chance they'll be staying and be you know, an option, at least, for League Cup and for European, you know, backup for European games and stuff. Yeah, true. It's all true. And we'll talk a little bit more about transfers a little bit later on, but um, just wanted to uh, to move things on a little bit. So, so the Summer Series, I think, was a success overall. We'll be looking to improve certain elements of it and certainly to do it again, I'm pretty sure. And we look forward to listening to our American friends and getting their experiences because I know... Stateside um, Seagulls boss, so to speak, Paul Dorsey, um, I think apparently travelled all over the place. He was travelling three or four hours to, to training camps and this, that and the other. He, he was a, pretty much everything. Fair play to him. They had a lot of all good organisation with scarves and other merch besides. Uh, we'll, we'll, hear more, we'll hear more about that later on. Um, on the summer series, they played a few youngsters. Ed Turns got a bit of a run out. He's now gone on another loan to Lake Norian because they've gone up a division. That works nicely. We'll talk about transfers later. But we had 
Jensen Weir, son of David, of course, got a run out. We had Jack Hinchelwood, obviously. Probably the most interesting because he started a couple of games. He did, yeah. It really feels to me as if Roberto De Zerbi's got a notion of including him in matters coming forward this season. And we are weak still in those defensive, particularly fullback positions. He isn't actually a defender, is he, though? He's a midfielder. Well, he he was a, he was a centre back and a right back originally, and he was played last season in the twenty threes as a midfielder, and obviously in that Villa game for us. But the right back position is one he has played in before. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I don't think he's perfect there, um, and he's obviously still a bit raw. But it's going to be interesting to see if and how much he's involved in in the season. Mm. I've got a feeling he's going to be kept on board for us this season. By the way, I called the World Football phone in, Dawson Adebayo and Tim Vickery's thing the other day, to mention and to ask if anybody anywhere in the world has had four generations of players play top-flight football in their country. Um, Jack Hinshelwood has completed that set here. I think I might have mentioned it on the previous pod, but just to quickly mention, great-granddad Wally played for Chelsea in the 1951 campaign and also played Fulham. His granddad Paul played for Palace... Um, Oxford and Millwall his dad Adam of course who's now the Worthing manager played for Brighton before his rather promising centre-back career was cut short cruelly by injuries Um, he's also got a couple of uncles that played as well and um, and Jack is the fourth generation to play top flight football in England with the same surname so hats off to the Hinchelwoods you say top flight you mean top four leagues not top flight surely Adam Adam Hinchelwood never played top flight football yeah, top top four. That's right. Uh, professional football. That's exactly what I meant, Peter. Yes. Um, so let's. He played, let's in, the, he played in the championship, didn't he? He made his debut in in his in his uncle's first game in charge. Yes, that's he? true. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, Martin, that did pretty Martin well. One of the uncles. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Hmm? Who's the other uncle? I can't remember. Martin and. Oh, I'd love to be talking Harry or something like that. <laughs> Harry Inchwood. Probably something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, moving on swiftly. Um, Women's World Cup is going on at the moment. Um, Fantastic so far. The Lionesses are doing well. They've won all three games. They're top of their group. They play a rather interesting and slightly tricky opponent in Nigeria next time out, who have been by far and away the strongest African nation through the years in the women's game. But um, a tricky first knockout stage, I think, for that one. Um, But it's been pretty good. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they they didn't look that you know, impressive the first two games, and they scraped through, and obviously lost Kira Walsh as well. And they sounds like they they made up. I didn't see it. They'll see it was like for work on um, Thursday on Tuesday, but it sounds like they made a formation change, and it made a huge impact. Yeah, and it's, it's a big one. Um, she's won trophies elsewhere. She's won with yeah. She knows what she's doing. She does traditionally like to stick with the team once she's got it, subject to injuries. And obviously, we've had exactly a lot of a lot of players out. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, is basically our Perlo, isn't isn't it? I think basically. Yeah. So that was a big but with club. her and with um, the, the captain Neil Williamson out and um, yeah. uh, uh, Beth, Mead. Beth Mead, yeah, and someone else like who I can't remember who else has a um, uh, ACL and yeah, two of the key players retiring. So um, Ellie, Ellie White Herbie's and, not involved. I don't know if she was Frank Herbie. Yeah, maybe. And then Ellie yeah. White and someone else retiring as well. So they've lost six of that team pretty much. Either who started or who came on and well, do you think I, peter reese james uh who's gone on the peripheries a bit at chelsea um he must be looking on with envy at how well his little i think it's little sister i think that's right isn't it lauren james is doing she is the yeah, star she's been called the cheat code for uh 
yes. in terms of like just bringing her on. Is she's she sounds she's certainly from a little bit I saw of the Denmark game. She's frightening to watch. She's so yeah. good. Um, well, and it, code. She, she looks but, like a computer game footballer. What she's yeah. doing doesn't seem r- real. It's amazing, amazing. And the other even in, in, more interesting one is they they even could afford to play the top scorer in the women's super league at left wing back. Yes, yeah. right wing daily, back. Yeah. right wing back. Daily, yeah, yeah. There's all the debate about Alessia, Alessia Russo and Rachel Daly, and Daly is probably the complete centre forward. But it's testament to how good she is and how um, tactically astute uh, Vigman is to know that she can play in that role. Yeah. And they've um, also got Beth England, who scored a load of goals for Tottenham after moving to them in January. So yeah. they've got plenty of firepower, but they hadn't scored more than a goal for quite a while in a game for quite a while before um, before Tuesday, and then obviously absolutely stuffed China. Yeah, exactly. Um, interesting stuff, and, and we really wish them the very best. They've been great. Yeah. I saw, by the way, just last night, we're recording this on Thursday, uh, last night I saw Dear England, which is a national theatre production by a guy called James Graham, um, who's done stuff like um, the play that went wrong and all that sort of thing. He's written um, this play, and it's cast Joseph Fiennes as Gareth Southgate, and it's really the story of Southgate's genesis from penalty shootout villain um, in 1996 in that uh, infamous um, game against Germany, of course, in the semi-final, uh, to him then becoming a manager and, and the rest of it. It was really good fun. It's pretty much sold out. So getting tickets, good luck with that one, really. But it was really good. All cast. you're really doing is taunting our listeners that you've been. Yes, exactly. That's all I'm really doing. But no, it was, it was a really good production, but it, it also highlighted the difference with the women's team and the psychology and how they've been adaptable and been tactically astute as well, and they've been more um, more forthcoming in, in those those elements, I think. Under Gareth Southgate, things are maybe turning, but it, it's, it's an interesting thing. There's also a petition, by the way, um, to do with the England women's team. Um, it's, it's, it says, you may have read that the recent article regarding Nike refusing to sell Mary Earps, who's, of course, the England goalkeeper, a goalkeeping shirt, and alongside this, the refusal of Nike to sell any female goalkeeper shirts and Adidas's decision not to sell any goalkeeping shirts from the Women's World Cup 2023. Why are these not for sale? Mary has tried to resolve this issue, even offering to fund the shirts herself, so fans would not be let down. But why should she? It seems that she was even left out of the promotional pictures when the Lionesses kits uh, were launched in April ahead of the World Cup. Mary's Manchester United goalkeeper shirt was the third best-selling shirt and sold out, which clearly demonstrates demand. So why has the decision not to sell the shirt for the World Cup been made? Just one little side issue there to question. We don't get everything right, but I have to say with the women's team, they are getting a lot right. So fair play to them on that. Um, any thoughts on that, Peter, quickly? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? So I don't... The logic was... I think it's just some one person probably decided in Nike that it was a good idea not to do that and they wouldn't have said enough and this yeah, caused uproar quite rightly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah crazy decision. Yeah. But anyway, adaptable though the England team are, we've got tough head games ahead. Let's hope they can do the business. And if you can get tickets for the National Theatre, go and see Dear England. Finishing part one very quickly, uh, one one bit more to mention, and it does tie in a little bit with our transfer section coming uh, at the end of the pod. Um, Renf were given a dedication in the Fans Awards um, section of the awards dinner, which took place, I think, just a couple of nights ago, was it? Or was it last night? I think it was a couple of nights ago. Um, where Caicedo was given Player of the Season, 
etc etc but this rent thing i think it's good we mentioned it before robert eaton memorial fund of course um who tragically died he was on the 105th floor at the twin towers above where the impact of the plane was absolute goner uh, no chance at all unfortunately for him to survive and out of that was born a crystal palace in brighton fans and players ex-players um event that was going on fundraising many thousands many hundreds of thousands were raised through the years it's gone on for quite a long time and i think it's i think is it mark langridge the son of the guy that um was part of the original setup um, yeah he, yeah he was um he was chairman wasn't he recently they decided to wind it down and it feels like the right time to do that now yeah. but what a great series of events that's provided quizzes charity matches and other events going on besides um yeah it's been it's been brilliant. The, the video that they the club put together of it for the reward was, was superb and it was really well done and quite emotional it was like a superb it was, wasn't it? talking with the yeah. family and uh yeah and i think also i might be wrong but i thought wasn't robert eaton's father died, passed away or something or i thought it was yes. something like that that then right. kind of led it to be in the right sort of time i could mm. i could be wrong but i thought it was something of that something like that happened in their family that then it became the right sort of time. And they were saying in the video that it felt like they wanted to go out while it was still at the top rather than it fizzling out a bit. And it's amazing it's been going so long. I mean, it's an incredible cause and they've done so much good. Yeah, well done to everyone who's been yeah, involved. Complete thumbs up to everyone and well done to the Albion for acknowledging that. I yeah. think it was and, a and to Palace fans as well, who've embraced it as well. And, you know, it's like it shows that through football rivalry, and this is why Palace fans are so, you know, Palace, for all the fact that obviously we're rivals are so much better than someone like Chelsea. You can't mm-hmm. imagine, I can't imagine Chelsea fans doing this, but the Brighton fans, you know, it's like. Yeah, to me, to me, right, you know, like the England Germany, we talked about that earlier on, the England Germany rivalry. And I think part of what makes that rivalry so spiky is the fact we are peas in a pod. And I think mm. with Brighton and Palace, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Same part of the country, roughly the same sort of size clubs roughly the same sort of size history. Neither of us have won a major trophy. And we came together for a common cause. When you meet fans away from the spice of the actual rivalry match days, they're all lovely people. I mean, Yeah, I'm as sure. we did with one of our recent pods when we were in the, when we were in yeah. the Gladstone and we were chatting with the Palace fans. Yeah, I was fans, listening so. to the uh, Price of Football pod the other day. And guess whose name pops up uh, reading out? He, he wrote a question into uh, the <laughs> podcast. Toby, if you're listening, Toby Kinder, uh, you're one of a number of top Palace Palace supporters, and it's great. We enjoy that rivalry, and we look forward to yeah. many more years to come. Um, speaking of which, when we had that um, that podcast with Toby, I'm not sure if it was on air or not, but he posed the question: Who will be Palace's uh, rivals? Uh, sorry, who who will be Palace's um, main enemy of hate for Brighton fans? And he said we should put that to the Albion fans. So I'm putting that out there now. Get in touch. Usual thing, Brighton Rock Pod on Twitter. You can email us, Brighton Rock Podcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can uh, just get in touch by other means. Come up and speak to us if you know who we are. Tell us who you think should be enemy number one in the Palace squad nowadays, now that dear old Wilfred has moved to Turkey. To whoever, to- whoever plays best for them probably is the answer. Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, obviously their one is Lewis Dunk. And they've said if ever Lewis Dunk left, uh, Toby said it will probably be Solly March. 
And the most unassuming, mild-mannered guy of all. Ah, uh, but he did, he did shush the, the, uh, the Palace fans when he scored last time. That's true. And he is a Sussex boy through and through, and he is a Brighton fan, as are all his family. So, yeah, that, that's a fair point, really, I suppose. But anyway, get in touch. Tell us who you think we should hate the most in the Palace squad. But, no, joking aside, on, on the Robert Eaton thing and the awards dinner, I think it's good that we acknowledge that. It was the right timing to do so. Friends of the show... Brett Mendoza, who was, I think it was vice chairman recently of that. Mm. Um, Jared Evans, who I don't think you've met, Peter, but I've met on a, an Albion Raw podcast once. And speaking of which, Alan Wares himself are all yeah. very significantly involved with Brentford. Well, they have been when it was on. And um, thumbs up to them and everyone else who's been involved in that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Okay, Peter, to part two, a few more things to discuss. Just a couple of um, small matters, first of all. I've already mentioned Dear England at the National, so I can tick that one off the list. There was one other thing I wanted to mention in passing, which is um, mentioning the World Cup, um, particularly in relation to Alexis McAllister. I don't know if we mentioned it on the pod. Other people may have mentioned it elsewhere. The club received £1.35 million in compensation. That's pounds, of course. In compensation for FIFA for player participation in the World Cup. I think it's a collective amount due to the eight players that we had involved. I'm not sure we mentioned it before, but um, that's a good little extra bonus, isn't it? It's quite nice. Yeah. Yep. Um, Now, let's talk about other matters to do with the Middle East. Saudi Arabia, namely. Now, we're not one to rant and and take the moral high ground, are we, in regard to Qatar, Newcastle with the Saudi owners, all of that stuff. But let's do it again anyway. Saudi Arabia, they're global now, global sports washing and Premier League rivalry development and campaign. It's been a very, very interesting summer, I have to say. Um, Saudi Arabia are doing what the Chinese did in the sense of trying to buy up talent and escalate the profile of their their particular um, league. The Saudi league has... Um, I, I think they've got a lot of support behind them in terms of the members of the public turning up to games. They are a football-mad nation. Let's be fair. Let's mention, mention that first of all. However, you haven't got full-on comp- uh, free co- competition because the Saudi government has bought up the four biggest clubs in Saudi Arabia. Um, and amongst those and other clubs in Saudi a huge number of talent from around, particularly around Europe, or Europe-based talent at least, has moved over. We already knew about Cristiano Ronaldo. That was a, a bit ahead of time. Lionel Messi turned it down. But we've had the likes of Karim Benzema, uh, N'Golo Kante, uh, Jordan Henderson. We're going to talk about him in a little bit more detail in a minute. Managerial talent like Robbie Fowler and Stephen Gerrard. We've had. I'm not um, sure you can call Robbie Fowler and Stephen Gerrard managerial talent. Unless you put put the word in before that. I put it in sarcastically. But no, a load of other amazing talent has moved and is on the way to moving to Saudi Arabia. Alan St. Maximan from Newcastle, Saudi owned. Coincidence, maybe? Is there a bit of a financial fair play juggling act going on there? I'm not one to suggest such things, but um, there's, there's that. You've you've heard Denny Newcastle bid forty million for Livramento today, so uh, obviously a coincidence, but exactly overpriced, I think, given his lack of Premier League experience and his injury record at this stage. Anyway, we we mentioned him. 
there's so many more besides Nevis, actually, is one of the eye-catching ones. Yeah, from- he's one of the few that actually has gone to take the money early. I mean, yeah, most Top of them of are basically game. past yeah. it, slash yeah. uh, of an age where they're past their prime sort of thing. But he is, yeah, yeah he's the, he's one of the ones. I mean, players like Mares, you know, are kind of just at the end of their prime, so are probably taking the money now when they can and, you know, kind of... And obviously, you know, it's like if you're from not from Europe, then going to Saudi Arabia isn't quite such a big thing as it is for European players, potentially. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he's travelled a long way to play for Man City and to play for Leicester, you know, and to play in France. So, yeah. actually, yeah. moving to Saudi Arabia isn't that big a thing when you've you've That's basically moved continents before. It, it's a bigger thing for a European player like Neves, who yeah. obviously played that's... in Portugal, played in England, and has then moved to Saudi Arabia completely. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. There's, there's Italian and Italian-based Slovak players have moved over there as well. Uh, Mitrovic was um, was very keen to move and was not happy to have Fulham turn down the offer for him. We won't even mention Mbappe because that's a whole circus thing, other than to say, what was it, £259 million pounds bid. Yeah, I think it's 300 million euros, wasn't it, they were offering, yeah. which is 259 million pounds. Of, of just having a year there and then going to Real Madrid, where he's clearly arranged a deal in a year's time when his, his contract runs out. There's now rumours um, of a loan at Chelsea for a year and stuff. It's, like, it's... Well, Rumours of Liverpool loan, aren't they, yeah. as well? I think that's an ins- insult to both clubs. Not that I mind Chelsea being insulted in particular, but it's an insult to both clubs to think that they would be a um, just, you know, like a stepping stone. Well, or, I also don't get what the benefit for PSG is there. If he's going to go for a free anyway, yes, you get like a 10 million loan fee, but I'm sure you're better off with him playing up front for you for one season. Or make a point and bench him for a year to be arseholes. I'd, I'd, I'd yeah. like, I'd respect them for doing that, to be honest. To be honest, PSG aren't a club I like very much either. Um, no, it's Qatari money. Again, it's blood money in a way, isn't it? In a manner of speaking. Oh, it is um, completely, yeah. Um, it's, not even, it's not even in a way of speaking. It's completely no. blood money. There's so much to talk about in, in relation to this matter. We won't go into it in too much detail because we don't have time, to put it quite frankly. However, what I would say is that um, on the matter of Jordan Henderson, um, I've got it. I think I've got it here. Let me just see if I can find the quote. He said um, in reply to someone from, I think, Black Lives Matter and LGBT, he said, hi, Joe, great to hear from you. Enjoyed the game. Um, no one should be afraid to go and support their club or country, because football is for everyone, no matter what. Thanks for your support. Enjoy the rest of the Euros. Um, you know, like um, thumbs thumbs up emoji basically, and um, and rainbow emoji, and lots of support, which seemed very very sincere to me for people from LGBT communities in relation to football in general, and I think to do with the Qatar World Cup. He made those comments. He's now gone against all of his principles to to move from Liverpool after a number of years there. You know, time to move on, fine. Where he's moved on to, I I, I find it very, very hard to tolerate. To me, he's a sellout. Now, I know people will say he's got to think about his future, his family's future. Come on. The guy's been at Liverpool for a decade. He probably got paid fairly well at Sunderland, for fuck's sake. Does he really need to take that particular country's money it, he's a sellout I'm, I'm, i've lost all respect for the man i thought he was a, a really good advocate for lgbt rights he spoke well he didn't say too much he didn't say too little now he's gone there i mean i i don't understand under what circumstances he could have if he, if he meant what he said originally that he can now um 
square that with what he, his decision has been to move. And he's not the only one. Various, let's, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush. Anyone who's gone there has compromised any liberal sensibilities they might have, any fair-minded, any humanistic morals that they've had to go to Saudi Arabia, a country where you could be killed for being homosexual. That's their country. Or a journalist. Or a journalist, indeed. Um, you know, they, they've murdered journalists. They, they, they kill people for their sexuality, their natural state. I, I have nothing but abhorrent repulsion they for that. They attack women as well, and, you know, women aren't... Women are completely repressed in the country yeah. and just... They've only just been allowed to drive legally, for fuck's sake. The, 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 the nation repulses me. Now, I don't want to offend anybody in the sense of, you know, it's, it's, it's freedom of choice. Fans. It's freedom of choice. They, they're obviously entitled to make that decision. But do not expect anyone in this country or any other country where we have freedom of rights to not be offended by that. Jordan, you have let not just yourself down, you've let everyone around you down, you've let your club down. The Liverpool fans, the LGBT community in general, were applauding him for what he did before, and he's gone against it. Now, everyone else has also maybe compromised their morals, but at least they didn't speak out in advance and make things all the worse for having backtracked. I, I, I'm disgusted by it, I have to say. Really, really disgusted. It's so disappointing, isn't it? No, I... I... Couldn't agree more. I, yeah, it's you've pretty much summed it up, summed up my feelings. He basically, yeah, he seemed like a really good advocate for LGBT rights, for just generally for you know for people who, but you know for people who get you know under attack and that sort of thing. He seemed a a really good guy, and yeah, he's or any moral high ground he had has been completely destroyed by this. People say, oh, you know, if you get like four times more pay or whatever, anyone would take a job. It's like, well, no, because if I was paid the, the money that he was paid and then was offered the chance to get four times more to go to Saudi Arabia, I wouldn't even take four times more to go to Saudi Arabia now, and I'm not on that much money. When you're so paid... I and certainly you... wouldn't do it, uh, you know, if I was a footballer earning the much Jordan Henderson what did. So, yeah, yeah you, you're a hypocrite, exactly. basically. He, you're a he's, hypocrite. He's been paid very handsomely for a number of years. And yeah. that's a complete idiot financially and and in terms of his his home economics. He doesn't strike me as that. He strikes me as someone who'd be quite sensible. Yeah. So he doesn't need I, I I challenge the notion that he needs in any way that extra money that was involved in him going to Saudi Arabia. It's so, so disappointing. And what makes it worse, there's a twofold insult that's attached to this because you remember that Harry Kane was going to wear a, a rainbow armband, and in the end, Infantino, Mr. Bloody I am this, I am that. He, he's, he's everything except a people person, Infantino, because he, he suppressed freedom. He suppressed freedom with the bullshit um, arse-licking that he did to the Qataris. Uh, now, if you remember, obviously, Harry Kane was due to wear the armbands, a rainbow armband, to talk about yeah, well, to make a point about the freedom for all people. And he, they they were coerced out of that, and they had to, in the end, they were forced to avoid it because a football on-pitch decision of giving a yellow card was due to be given if he wore the armband, which itself is a disgrace. They were pushed into a corner. They were pushed into an impossible position. Gareth Southgate, the rest of the England team, Harry Kane as captain in particular. That was an insult to one degree. What makes it worse, going back to Jordan Henderson, is have you seen this publicity that's gone around the signing where they've greyed out the rainbow as if to say the colours are gone? 
we've distilled this issue. We've we've put it into the background. We've belittled it. This was the marketing campaign by that Saudi club. I don't even know or care which club it is out of the, the big four in Saudi that it is. It doesn't really matter. The point is that club in particular, as a representation of the Saudi government, made a point of saying grey rainbow. You know, where, where's your rainbow? Where's your colours now? Um, they've, they've basically, Jordan Henderson is the Saudi's bitch. That's the only way of putting it. And it's been manifested in that marketing campaign. He and they are a disgrace. Sorry, sorry, Jordan, I'm sure you're a lovely guy, but you really need to have more of a moral compass when you are as financially wealthy as you have been and as you are and as you would continue to be, even if you hadn't have signed for the Saudis. Yep, couldn't agree more. No, no, he's basically a hypocrite. Typical us, sitting on the bloody fence, isn't it? And I know, I know certain uh, contributors to this podcast, like Andy Vass, would uh, fully concur with that. Uh, we won't bother with quotes and all that because too much to mention. Let's talk about the EFL, completely changing tack here. We're coming to transfers in part three, but part two, the EFL, it starts this very weekend, a week ahead of the Premier League. Um, it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to chuck in just a couple of predictions for you and a couple of points. Middlesbrough, Michael Carrick, he's done very, very well there, hasn't he? He's turned them around. Not one of our favourite clubs, but I have to give hats off to him. He's he's done a very good job with them. With one of one of Albion's least impressive loan signings ever, Super Akron, who who's done brilliantly. And they've got other players besides who in all departments, forwards, midfield and defence. They've got a very good team. And if they had Michael Carrick from the beginning of last season, they would have gone up probably automatically. And I proffer the notion that they will go up automatically, possibly as champions this season. My other point is going to be to mention Birmingham City. Two things to mention. One, this very day, Thursday, the 3rd of August, Tom Brady, uh, legendary NFL player in the States, has uh, affiliated himself with the American side of the consortium that owns Birmingham City. He's uh, put his name to it. He, he seems to be a very high-profile uh, presence in terms of this Birmingham deal. He's, he's, you know, he's putting a lot of uh, noise out there in relation to this deal. What I love about Birmingham is they finally got what looks like a settled scenario after uh, many years of complete turmoil. And parts of their ground have been condemned and closed off for public access last season. But now un under the American part ownership and the local consortium side of things, which is run by a group called the Shelby Corporation. Yes, the Shelby Corporation. Shelby as in Thomas Shelby, as in Peaky Blinders, as in Birmingham. Yes, there is a company that have named themselves after Peaky Blinders. <laughs> you can't you can't say fairer than that, can you? Peter, what do you think about that? What do you, what do you think about the, the EFL this season? General thoughts? So, do you want to actually put my neck on the line and give some predictions then? Mm. Shall I? Uh, Go ahead, please do. I think the top, the relegated three teams will be top six champ championship. And I think two of them will go up automatically. I don't think Middlesbrough is as good as them. They've all got pretty strong squads and they've not lost many players. They've got, they're, they're all going to, they've all got quite interesting new managers as well. I think they'll all go up. Or be in the playoffs. Leicester, though, Leicester are in a bit of turmoil, I think. They've, mm, lost I don't know. they've got some really good signings. But they've got a negative psychology. They've all gone down. It's going to be hard to turn that mm, around. Well, they, they do, though, a lot of the time. Look at Burnley last year. Peter, think of Chris Hewton with the Albion. Could, could Middlesbrough not be in that 
in that mindset? No, I, I think, well, I think they probably could get top six. Um, that's why I'm not predicting all three will go back up, but I think two will go back up and a third <laughs> one will be in the playoffs, whether they'll win it. You playoffs are always random. I think QPR will struggle. Rotherham will struggle as, as normal. Wednesday will struggle. But I think Plymouth and Ipswich might surprise a few people. Yeah, they, I they actually, completely agree with you on all, all those fronts. Um, looking forward to see how Carl Rushworth does at Swansea. Interesting, interesting. Mm. And also Sarmiento at West Brom, who, I mean, the West Brom, Watford and Norwich, who were, you know, kind of teams who've been down into recently are all not necessarily fancy to do that well this season. So I'm interested to see how they do. Um, League One, again, more Albion interest as well with, um, Ed Turns and, um, Mark Leonard and someone else, I think, as well, potentially. Yeah. I've got um, really good transfers in part, a very short part three at the moment. But I'm, I'm going to go with my local club, Charlton, to do well this season in League One. Al- yeah, they've, Alfie they've May a bit more is settled, a really good they? signing. Hmm. He scored yeah. top scored and on pretty much one of the top scorers in the league for Cheltenham the last couple of years. So if they can get him firing, and similarly, I think Bolton and Derby will be up there. I think Derby will win the league comfortably. Yeah, I think Bolton and Derby have settled existing pre-existing managers going into this new campaign yeah. they were there or thereabouts they're solid they they know what they're doing and they've got good squads i, th- I agree with you yeah i feel um, like Wigan. i think will struggle because obviously they've got an eight point deduction yeah. exeter i think potentially cheltenham without alfie may will struggle i think hmm. um stevenage orient you know teams who go up port vale there's a few down who could well be down there Oh, Oxford, the other, other ones with James Beadle, aren't they? We should see how he does at the level up. Yeah, Paul is... Robinson finally leaving Oxford as well. Yeah, and, and he, Beadle is actually a few years ahead of where Rushworth was. He's only a division behind him. He's like three years younger. So mm. he's, you know, he was regarded at Crewe as a real prospect. Yeah. League two, I would go for Stockport, Notts County mm. and Wrexham. I think Notts County and Wrexham have an extremely strong squads already and had Dominancies, they've got, they've got momentum. You were saying about Leeds, Leicester, and Southampton. Well, actually, they've got momentum, and they've, you know, they're actually really, really good sides at that level as well. Teams often go straight through. Stockport, I think, will be they're strengthened after missing out just last year. Bradford will always be up there. You've got to think Crawley are going to struggle. They've lost more players, and they only just stayed up last season. Maybe Colchester, Harrogate, one or two others like that. Yeah, well, hopefully in the National League, Barnet can go up again. Although Chesterfield feel like favourites. Wait, what do you reckon for Worthing this year? Well, I agree with you on on all of those matters, by the way. Um, Wrexham, Notts County, just up this year, but they've got such good resources. Stockport, of course, last season were up as the first year, and yeah. I, I think they narrowly missed out. I think you're right on all that. National League, I agree not, with not Just to say, Notts County might have one of the signings of the summer from any team with David McGoldrick. Who's just come yeah. off his best ever scoring season with Derby in League One, but yeah, has gone back did, to his. How did they sign him? It's his hometown club, so That's he's amazing. gone back to his hometown club. Yeah, I didn't even know that was the case. He yeah, had a they, he went, he's gone back there Gosh, and apparently looked really good in pre-season, and he topped score it, for Derby last year in Division Above. He's so got he's on really good form. Connection, no, disappointing, but no. But anyway, no. Talking about um, the National League, I, th- I agree with you. I think Chesterfield. You're looking at them. You're looking at Barnet. I think the teams going down will never go straight back up. I think the, the standard between the National League Prem and League Two is such that the teams that have come up, Wrexham and Notts County in particular, but in general, will do quite well. We've seen it with Stockport. Barrow had a good first season when they came up. Um, in terms of your, your question about Worthing, I think it's going to be tough, but they've still got Adam Hinshelwood. They've still got the core of a good squad, and I think they'll... 
they'll do well. They'll be up a mid-table at the very least. And I think, certainly, I think there'll be another it'll be another playoff campaign minimum for them. There's not there's not the the ebb fleet probably this year that exactly there has been. That's one key factor that's different, isn't it? Uh, it's going to be for that league last season and for everyone. Hmm. Okay, well, Peter, we'll talk more about um, that as the season goes on. We just wanted to do that as a preview. The season kicks off tomorrow night as we speak, Friday night with Sheffield Wednesday, Southampton, I think it is. Wednesday going to struggle this year. They got rid of Darren Moore. That was a poor decision. It's it's about personalities and differences of opinion. Who have they brought in? I can't remember now. Um... I, I don't even know, but I don't think it's going to matter because Darren Moore is underrated. He's done a really good job. I think he did a good job at Doncaster. I think he was underrated how well he did there, to be honest. And I think... Yeah, he kind of... Changing managers. He, he did well as caretaker. Changing as, managers... Um... In uh, in in uh, pre season when you've got promoted never works. Um, when you, he's got you promoted. Oh, well, this is Munoz, who's the uh, ex Watford manager, is their new manager, which oh, again is a bit of an odd one. I don't, I don't think he's going to do well. Look at what happened with Forest Green Rovers. They lost their manager despite promotion, ironically to Watford, and of course Rob Edwards then went to Luton, and will. So part three, so much to talk about. It's just we're rocketing through this, Peter. Right, transfers. We've alluded to some of it. I just want to give you a quick quote before we go into what we've done during the summer. So the past three summer window spends. In 2020, £15 million. That's one five. That was on Adam Lallana, Joel Veltman, John Paul Van Hecker, Jakob Murda, Andy Zakiri, and Michael Kabovnik. 2021, £46 million. Carol Mitoma, very good investment. Um, Jeremy Sarmiento, probably the same. Mark Kukureya, a money spinner. Uh, Enoch Mwepu, Abdullah Sima, and Kiel Sherpen, who is still on the books as well. 2022, 40 million, less than the previous summer. Purvis Estupinian, Julio Encisio, uh, Billy Gilmore, Simon Dingra, Levi Colwell, albeit on loan from Chelsea. I think that last window was the best of the lot, wasn't it? Especially as it was less than the previous season. This year, we'll get into in a moment, but that's our recent background. Should we talk about the the transfer? Should we sum it up first of all? Should we do that first? So transfers in, Joao Pedro from Watford, 30 million. Mahmoud Dahoud from Dortmund on a free transfer. What a bargain. Um, James Milner from Liverpool on a free transfer, 37 years old, but more than 20 years of top-flight experience. Uh, Bart Verbrucken, goalkeeper from Anderlecht, 16.3 million. Adrian Mazilu from uh, Faru Constanta, 2.6 million, but that, that deal's only happening in January. It's a, it's a pre-contract. Got another assist for his Romanian team today in the Conference League. A very exactly. impressive like, flick through. Okay. Igor Julio from Fiorentina, 14.6 million. And then, last but by no means least, in the future, Jacob Slater from Preston North End for an undisclosed amount. Right, the transfers out are interesting. Alexis McAllister uh, to Liverpool, undisclosed, but we, we know it's 35 million, rising to 55 million. Robert Sanchez, very recently, has just gone, in fact, today, has gone. We well, haven't actually gone yet, but. Oh, yeah, it's subject to confirmation. Yeah, that's true. Um, 25 million to Chelsea. Redicadra to Re. Uh, to, to Rema, 
Reem. I think Reem. I've done a typo there. It's it's, it's Rans, isn't it? I know it's Reem, isn't it? But either way, it's like yeah. 1.7 million. Good bit of business. Pays for the academy for a year. Aaron Connolly, just in the last couple of days, to whole city after a loan there last year. Liam Rossini's team, of course. Undisclosed, but we're hearing 1.2 million with a 20% sell-on. And most importantly, no buyback. <laughs> That's the most important ingredient for me, not to be cruel. Antef Zongi, a guy who we thought was going to be a really good prospect, a, a, a ball-playing defender, to Feyenoord, undisclosed or free, depending on who you hear it from. Taylor Richard. I think the club should undisclose terms. It's just that probably is quite a low fee, but then a decent sell-on sort of thing, yeah. like Jokeres. That's Zongi. Taylor Richards has gone to QPR for an undisclosed, and Teddy Jenks has gone to Forest Green Rovers on a free. So the others that have gone out, well, Mizulu I've put as a loan till January, you know, because we, he's basically staying with the club, isn't he? The others are Kasper Kozlovsky to Vitesse Arnhem again. He made 30 appearances from the last season. He's gone there on a loan. Hayden Roberts has gone to Bristol City on a free. Teddy Jenks has gone to... I think to... Roberts, again, I think they said maybe they might have got a clause and they did like a... I think it was undisclosed terms, so they may have got a sell-on from him or something. Hmm. I thought they, I thought they okay. said. Uh, Teddy Jenks, who, who was in the, uh, the, the US uh, tour squad, has gone to Forest Green Rovers on a free. James Beagle, you mentioned him earlier, he's gone to Oxford on loan. Uh, Kiel Sherpin has gone to Sturm Graz on a season loan. Abdallah so we Sina, could play in Europe, conceivably. Well, exactly, yeah, yeah. And we could could face them in the end, could we? Or could well, we he wouldn't be, because I wouldn't have thought he'd be allowed to play against us, but... That's true, yeah. Abdallah Sima has gone to Glasgow Rangers on loan. Jeremy Sarmiento has gone to West Brom on loan in the Championship. Let's talk about him in a minute. Um, Mark Leonard to Northampton season loan. Carl Rushworth has gone on another loan, this time to Swansea for the season. Ed Turns has gone back to Leighton Orient, this time a League One club following their promotion, partly thanks to Ed. You wouldn't have uh, thought someone called Ed Turns would, uh, would be really good at centre half, would you? You want his head facing forward, really, rather than turning. Yeah, he's a real Ed Turner, isn't he? <laughs> the worst pun in history of this podcast. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And Dennis Undav, most recently amongst uh, departures, has gone on loan to Stuttgart for the season. The reason it's alone, do you think that's because he wants game time, but he's still, still he and maybe the Albion have hopes for his career with, with yeah, us? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there was like, talk of it being with a view to a permanent, but then there was no real talk of that when it was actually announced. So I don't know. Yeah, he seems to want to play for Germany at the Euros. and Euros, yeah, I think yeah, that's a really good point. I Which, think that is the major point, actually. I'm not that... I mean, if Pascal Grosch can't get near their squad, then frankly... Well, we talked about the friendlies and all those teams during the international breaks, didn't we? Lewis Dunk, Adam Webster, Pascal Grosch, why are they not playing for their countries? Adam well, Webster, Dunk, okay. was called up, but then got a knock, didn't he? Bought an injured, but... That's true, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I can see why he wanted to move, and I, I don't have a problem with it, and I get the vibe from most Albion fans, they don't have a problem with it, do they? No, I get it from his point of view. I think it, my, my one concern is it leaves us a little bit short, weirdly, on the right. So I think if you take the view that Yao Pedro is a third striker, I, I'm not convinced that Bonarte or Enciso were that happy on the right. So Pedro was the obvious backup to Solly March. Yeah, which then so, was the position in the middle. Yeah. And obviously we have been looking at players. Yeah, and we you know, do we look, have we this at extra Palmer, year. Looked at Kudus, so it maybe we do get someone in before the end of the window. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I actually don't think people, I know people moan about loans. I wouldn't be against Tama being on loan, to be honest. Sarmiento is out there getting the experience that he needs. Why not fit the gap with a player who has Premier League experience and all that for a year and will we'll provide another option? And then we've got Sarmiento to come in anyway, hopefully next year if he does well. What's the problem with that? Or Moran, if he has a good, I mean, he may well get, go on loan to a championship club and he could be in by next season. So why not fill the gap with a player who's got Premier League experience and has played well for City there and it provides what we want as an extra option? You know, yeah, people complain about loans, but actually I don't think it's that bad an idea, especially when you've got so many more games this season. Yeah, the only, the only way in which loans is, is not good is in the version where you you develop players for other teams. And I know with Levi Colwell, when we took him on, we probably thought that we could maybe get him on a permanent deal because he was periphery, wasn't he, with Chelsea. A number of changes have gone on, managerially yeah. speaking. And Pochettino, I remember when he first came in, said he liked him. He liked the look of him. He wanted to see what he was like. The vibe sounded like we weren't going to get him. Um, the summer's gone on for a month or so. And now he has signed a six-year deal with a one-year option, so we're not getting him. Simple as that. But, but if we're, but I don't, I don't mind developing Palmer if West Brom are then developing Sarmiento. Hmm. So both we we benefit for a season yeah, with Palmer a, um... and also get the benefit of Sarmiento getting a season at West Brom. You know, I, mean, I don't see the the downside there. You it's know, like a food like... chain thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The curiosity, I mentioned it earlier to flag up for later. Jeremy Sarmiento, what do you think about him going out on loan? Yeah, I was a bit surprised. But then on the other hand, I get what they're coming from. I think he needs 30-odd games, and he's probably not going to get that many games here with Solly, with, you know, potentially Al Pedro playing that side. He's had some injuries. He could do with just playing 30-odd games. And that's why I've seen a lot of comments from people online saying, why have we not loaned out Buonanotte? Why have we loaned out Sarmiento? Simple answer is Buonanotte needs more time to step in the country and to get used to it and to play under our system. And, to, you know, he doesn't need the games so much necessarily. He doesn't need to play 30 games. He just needs to play to be an option for a team he doesn't, to us and play when he, when he can and to settle more into the system, into the country and to, you know, play that. Sarmiento just needs game time and he won't get, while Solly's fit, he won't be a regular in the team, and he needs to be that to develop. And that's why he's gone out rather than rather than Buenonate, despite the fact that he on the on the right hand side is a better option. I think Buenonate will be a much better option. I think in the centre, but but yeah. um, Simon is a better option on the wing. But that's okay. why it's like, it's a very different need, so that's like it fulfills what they both need. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And uh, I know I've quoted him a number of times, and I'm going to do it again here. Tim Vickery, South American expert. He he was talking about the transitional period to try and bring in players in from South America and you need to vet them into the European leagues before they, they have the, the cauldron that is the Premier League. And um, I think we, we've actually managed to transcend that. And he used to acknowledge that on the World Football phone-in, that we've managed to transcend that with certain players like Enciso, for example. Um, but I do think with Buenanote, he's one of those players that just needs a little bit more time. So I can understand why we've kept him in-house and how we, we're going to play it very carefully, I think. I think it's You have to look at what Enciso was like against Villa last year before before the World Cup. When mm. he struggled, he came on after about three or four minutes when Lallana went off. And, you know, he looked a bit lost. And compare it to what he was like when they worked with him over the World Cup and then worked with him, you know, during the season. And, he, and what he was like by April after working to Serbia. And the comparison is, you know, he's a completely different player. And... He didn't go out and loan. They didn't just didn't think, oh God, we've got to loan him out in January, get get him out to a European league. They went, Well, actually, 
you know, we try, I think deserve is very much like, I want to give these players a go and I won't loan them out and I'll keep them. And I, I think that's the right thing for certain groups of players. Other players, I think with, I think with English players actually and, you know, UK players, I think it's a really good idea to play them through the leagues. But I'm not sure what, how, how much good, um, Kozlowski, for example, going to BTS Arnhem again for a second season will do in terms of getting to our first team. It's got to be progressive, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't see. I don't think Turns and Leonard would have gone back to their club if they if they'd been both not if they hadn't gone up. Mm. You know, but mm. on the other hand, having gone up is actually a really good thing so they they can adapt to a higher level, but while playing with the same team they did last season. Yeah. But I if they didn't go up, I don't think they would have done. Bonus, isn't it? Yeah, us. like Rushworth doesn't go out to Lincoln; he goes to Swansea. You know, and the club are very careful. I think generally about where they loan their players to as well, especially the ones who are really. You know, they they regard highly, and Rushworth is clearly one of those. I mean, they've yeah. got him on a four-year deal now with an extra option as well. I mean, yeah. you don't give players at 21 who's never played a first-team game for you four-year deals, plus, plus what, four plus one-year deals without being pretty confident they're going to make it. Yeah. And well, they'd be better than give one to Connolly, so that went well. Yeah. Well, speaking of Connolly and speaking of sell-ons, I think that's a really good deal. 1.2 million for Connolly, I think, that that's right. Uh, we got the right deal for that because if, I was surprised we got that much. To be honest, I, I thought we'd I, be paying I, off some of his very, wages. I'm very pleased with it. Yeah, but I do think he's got the sort of potential where it could come back to haunt us. So I think the fact we got a twenty percent sell on is great. Where I think we I, I don't see him come back to haunt us as we are now. Yes, we might drop down a bit, and he did, but I don't see he'll ever be like top. At no, top no, six no. Premier League sense. side. He, he could go. For, you know, he could do really well and go for 12 or 13 million. It's like people moaning about Jokeres going. And it's like, well, actually, do you think really think Jokeres should be starting for us now? Over Ferguson, over Welbeck, over Yal Pedro when he's up there? Don't Peter, see it. So. Funny you should mention Jokeres, because that's my very next point. We've got a sell-on fee. We don't know what it is, but there's a sell-on fee for Jokeres. He's gone from Coventry, where he did a fantastic... He's had a good 18 months there, hasn't he? Um, and they were very, very close, very close to being the team we'll be facing on the first game of the season instead of Luton. Uh, Luton beat them in the playoff final. Um, he's gone from Coventry to Sporting um, for a, a sell-on fee uh, amount. We don't know what that sell-on is. I think it's probably about 10%, but I don't know. The suggestions from what someone said that we got, I reckon it was about 15 but yeah, it's kind of... I think well, that's what we're going to do with a lot of these players. We're going to sell them relatively cheap. I mean, although to be fair, a million pounds for Coventry at that point was quite a lot of money. Hmm. And he hadn't really done it in the Championship. So there's no real reason to believe that he was going to do what yeah. he's and the done feet, since the, then. The sporting but, was 20.5 million. So yeah, we're, going, we we're going to put a high sell on these things. I think that's that's the way to go. Go Get these players, even, even let them go on a free for someone like Hayden Roberts but then insists on a 20% sell-on. So our work, if, we, if someone does make it properly, our work is, is acknowledged. And I know when, when we upscale to the, the level we're at and the level we aspire to be, these, these um, fees would be small fry. But I think those bits of small fry do matter, even if we oh, continue to be successful to a certain degree. You still want to pick up incremental amounts, don't you? And oh, yeah. And it's like the 1.7 for Kadri, you said, and the 1.2 for, for Connolly. It just kind of it helps, helps the club to keep going and run. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's not 100 million that they're talking about if, if we have to sell Casado and that sort of thing. But it's, mm. it's all those bits that add up and, yeah. you know, probably will make us, you know, maybe some loan fees as well for Under. Probably we'll get a loan fee and others. We'll probably get close to, you know, to 10, 15 million pounds to someone from incidental fees. Huh. And it adds up. 
and that that can pay for the academy plus maybe one or two other wages of of yeah. commerce. Who knows? Or even uh, the next, you know, next gamble like M- Mizulu, whoever is Mizulu, whatever his name is, you know, Mizulu, yeah, yeah. Couple, oh, of, um, couple of gambles on two, three million pound players who might then make fifty million or something, you know. Yeah, final. Or looking forward to Chelsea bidding a hundred million for a Jingra next summer. Well, my final point, and it's on the matter of Chelsea, I've got a lot to talk about in regard to Chelsea. I don't know how much you want to hear this. I think there are, the fans are a bunch of arseholes. I cantankerous, love them, cantankerous dick weasel Andy Jacobs on Talk Sport has said... I've not oh, heard someone called a cantankerous dick weasel. Well, this is say. a first, and that is going to be the name of the podcast. Um, no, not just any old dick weasel, a cantankerous one as well. He's a cantankerous Chelsea fan, and he he's been moaning about Brighton ever ever since we had the the audacity to to have aspirations and delusions of grandeur. And he said he was never worth he was never worth hundred million until Declan Rice was sold by West Ham, and he said he's not worth that at all. I could not profoundly more disagree with Andy Jacobs than that. He is worth $100 million because we say it is. If no one wants to pay that, that's because they don't want to pay it. I don't mind why or how. He's worth $100 million. The arrogance of him and every other Chelsea fan that says we should just hand him over for $80 million. That's after That's after they've bid $70 million for him, which is the amount that Arsenal turned down when he was on a shorter contract in the middle of the season, prime peak sellers period of the season, the notion in a more of a buyer's period of, of the year, the summer, that we would sell him for 10 million less than Arsenal bid when he's on a longer contract is pure arrogance. Andy Jacobs, I cannot stand you. You are a... Oh, I, I, I don't want to get into it. I don't, I don't want to even want to say. Someone who you said quite a lot, so I don't want to get into it. <laughs> it is arrogance. This is your um, don't want to get into it. Then what's your wanting to get into it? I wanted to flag him up. He is a fucking dickhead. Let's not I've forget our old friend Mr. Romano as well, who uh, makes up shit for a living and uh, gets. This is a hilarious thing. It's like Reservi mentions Colwell once um, yeah. during the summer. And all these Chelsea fans run about disrespect and about Brighton being a disgraceful club. Yet their mate Romano, who they pay off basically to to feed information off to, so that he unsettles players. Has been Allegedly, about to for months. And, hmm? Allegedly, brackets definitely. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he clearly does. He clearly, every time he, you know, he literally is paid you know, or given incentives by the big clubs to basically try and shit on the small clubs and medium-sized clubs and make them try and sell their players by unsettling players. So they can say, well, it wasn't us. It was, uh, it was Romano. It wasn't us. And it's like, bollocks. So you basically, you might say that deserve you mentioning, you know, Colwell once is disrespectful. But I'd say that you're literally, basically, Romano might as well be your club employee. And we had all mentioning... this free, free, free Caicedo shit on Twitter. No. Oh, sorry, X, as it's now called. What an embarrassment. What an embarrassment Chelsea fans are. Andy Jacobs is a, is, is a broadcaster, but he's a Chelsea fan. He is the epitome of Chelsea fans. I cannot stand them. They disappoint me. They repulse me. I, I don't think on Talk like Sport can be called a or broadcaster, can they? I think we're more broadcasters than anyone on Talk Sport. Exactly. At least we give some legitimate views and we speak earnestly about what we think. 
Charlie Haffenden, we've had him on before, aspiring journalist. On the on the night of the uh, of the awards do, it, which was being streamed on, was it YouTube, the Albion's YouTube channel, and here, there, and everywhere. And on the very same night, a friend of the show, Alan, said he was on Chelsea TV. Yeah, and Chelsea TV. He, <laughs> he, he Alan was repulsed by the fact that Charlie Haffenden, who's an aspiring journalist, said he'd heard. Oh, he's a Brighton fan. Oh, he is a Brighton fan. He's definitely a Brighton fan. Well, not so sure after Tuesday, to be honest. Well, he he said um, that um, people that were at the wards do had heard from Caicedo that he was uh, wanting to leave. And this got quoted by Talk Shite, sorry, Sport, and by um, two or three other channels, just as we knew it would be. And it's it's clickbait. It's clickbait by him to get him more and more popular. It's clickbait by those channels that pick up on it to get them more popular. I'm repulsed by the modern era. Charlie, come back on the show by all means. Write a reply and all that. But I'm disgusted by that. If that, if all you've done, I, I also have to say that he yes, it was ridiculous from him. But also, whoever the supposed fans who went and told a journalist that. Then yeah. you also aren't fans either. And lo and behold, within 24 hours, there's been headlines on Sky Sports News talking about how the Albion are not expecting Caicedo to leave this window because they are not expecting anyone to meet the valuation of 100 million, which, according to Andy Jacob, no, there's is... no valuation. The fact that they're not expecting anyone to meet the valuation, they've not put the valuation out there. Yeah. Maybe it's like, well, maybe it's a billion pounds. Well, that's true. That's true. But they haven't met the perceived valuation of 100 yeah. million. We we already know they wanted that in January to disrupt our campaign mid-season. You're going to have to pay at least 100 million. And now Chelsea are insulting us with 70. No, I don't even think there was a price in January. I think that's what was like the full steam was put out. I think well, there maybe, was, maybe, maybe so. Especially once it got to like the time that Arsenal started kicking up a fuss. Mm. I don't think there was a price. I think they just weren't selling Play-Doh. Yeah, have said that the Chelsea have bid three times. We don't know what the other bid is. Who knows? There's Thanks, also a, there's a bid from another club that was reported as being Saudi. The Argus are now downplaying that, saying it's not a Saudi bid. It's un, unknown, which probably means it could be un, Saudi. Yeah, I, don't, I don't see Saudi teams bidding ninety million for a defensive midfielder. Frankly, they're all about big names and attacking players and wanting goals. I don't see them bidding that much money. Yes, for someone like Kante, where it's probably a quite limited fee, but not for someone like Sado. I don't, I don't see a Saudi team being interested in that. They're not big name enough for the money they have to pay. Yeah. No, I totally agree. But that, that covers everything, Peter. Any further words on anything? No, just, yeah, eight days, less than eight days until the start. Exactly. Um, I'm ready now, and I'm ready for the 1st September and the, uh, and the draw. Oh, yeah, just to say, European, yeah, we're, we're narrowing it down now, aren't we, in terms of who we can play. They're into yeah. the third round qualifying now, so I think in the next couple of weeks we'll have some teams we're going to play if they get knocked out of the champ- one, one part of the Champions League qualifiers, they get knocked out of the, the one where they came second or third, and they'll go straight into the qualifiers, for the, into the group stage for Europa League, and then the next two weeks after that, we'll find out most teams in the groups. And the first so, of yeah, September will be the tomorrow is our, uh, is the draw. Yeah, and and they um you you said on Monday there's something happening. Oh, I think it's a draw for the, I think it's a draw for the final qualifying, whatever it is. Yeah, 
the playoff yeah. round. So we'll have a, yeah, we can start getting an idea of it being this team or this team against this team or this team, and we'll play one or two of those. Or it's, I've got to say, I'm I'm so excited, like a child at Christmas. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop. Just hope we don't get the bloody Faroe Islands team with 130 away fans allowed. Yeah, and and our good friend Andy Bass has uh, has posted a few things about that, uh, namely talking about the grind. And I googled it. And if you do, Google yeah, I did as well. It's pretty shocking. Grind, isn't it? Faroe Islands, you you will never look back. My God, that's that's brutal stuff. I I've got to say, I'm going to be wearing anti anti whaling attire for the whole time I'm there. I mean, you do I normally think. anyway, don't you? I, yeah, it's my normal. It's my normal modus operandi. Your normal garb. I, I do, I do like to wear such such items. Why? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Um, I'm just trying to find the quote from him actually, but I don't think I'm going to manage it during the time we're on air. So we'll leave it there. Listen, we'll get Andy back at some other point. We're going to do a preview of the Premier League season. We also have our stateside friends coming on. That will probably be the next episode. Stay tuned for that. Um, I'm also doing my film fives, James Cagney. If you like 1930s gangster films, look out for that. That's coming up soon as well. Not 1930 gangster films. I've got 1,930 gangster films on DVD, coincidentally, yeah. Are they all thirsty, though? No, but they're all all James Cagney, (laughs) though. We'll, we'll we'll keep updates on on the transfer window. We'll do our summary of that. We'll do our. I think there might be a few more loans out before in the next few weeks because people like uh, um, Odello Fire and uh, James Furlong didn't go to America, and you feel like they must be due a move somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at the uh, looking at the stats, I think we've loaned or sold about 20, over twenty players this summer. It's 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 a constantly changing thing. We have to say, and I'm I'm interested to know what the Caicedo situation is. The Albion have said no one's going to match our our valuation of 100 million. They've not said that. They've said it's it's looking um, or it's looking less likely. I'm quoting I'm quoting Sky Sky who know their stuff. Michael Bridges, Tottenham fan, um, regular transfer speculator on Sky, who was talking about Moyes. Caicedo. Yes, Moyes Caicedo. Do you have any idea who that is? I've got no idea who that is. Well, I think that speaks for itself. So all, all that leaves us to do is the usual. Stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.